Hi, I'm Leah Potter. I'm Meredith Roten, and we are two news editors at the DW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast from the second oldest newspaper in D.C., covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. This week, we're going to be covering all things student association election, and we've got our own student life editor, Kayla Harris, to talk about all of the essay candidates and what they're getting up to before the elections this Wednesday. Yeah, thanks for having me. This year, we have two candidates for both president and executive vice president. So for president, we have Ashley Lee. She is a junior. She is the current vice president for public affairs on the essay. And then we have Imani Ross, who is also a junior. She is a current undergraduate at large senator. She's the chairwoman of the Student Life Committee. And then for executive vice president, we have Ojani Walthrust. He's a current senator from the Elliott School. And then we have Brady Forrest, who is the current pro temp of the Senate. He's also a graduate at large senator. Can you just, first of all, tell us what were the platform points that came up over and over again this year? We are seeing some very consistent things throughout these platforms. Two of the biggest things that we were seeing are diversity plans and plans to address food insecurity, because those have just been like major topics this year. Um, As I'm sure you know, um, and many of our listeners know, there was that whole Alpha Phi scandal earlier um, in the semester, and there was a huge response to it. First of all, Amani was a leader of the Alpha Phi bigotry resolution. Um, after the Alpha Phi incident. And so kind of building off of that, she also said that just as a representative, she would continue that work. And Ashley kind of said the same thing. She was working alongside others during that period. Here's a bit of my interview with Imani Ross. These courses, it's like women in politics, race and racism, the African-American experience, which are already courses that are offered on campus. Right. Yeah, yeah. but we want to make it so that these are in, these intra-level cultural companies courses count towards GPAC. So every student, regardless of what major, they'll have to do it. Um, everyone has GPAC, and I can honestly say some of us, majority of us, have taken a BS GPAC course just to right. satisfy the thing, just to satisfy credit. So why not make those sort of BS credits productive? And then Ashley also wants to create a first-year course, kind of like the one that they have at American now. Well, going on to food affordability and affordability in general on campus, how did the, the different candidates approach that issue? Yeah, so we are seeing very, very similar platform points here. The first thing Ashley wanted to do was institutionalize Hungry Harvest. So Hungry Harvest was or is this produce delivery service. And in December, the Student Association announced that it would allow students earlier this semester to sign up to get boxes of produce every two weeks. And it was for $60 and they could do it on G World. And so this was, like I said, a pilot program. So basically Ashley and Logan Malik too, who is the who is the essays vice president for undergraduate policy now. He used to be the director of sustainability. He basically spearheaded this effort and uh, he's been trying to institutionalize it and Ashley has been saying she wants to do something similar. Amani also wants to institutionalize Hungry Harvest. So this is just kind of something across the presidential board that students want. And then as far as the executive vice presidents, they, uh, presidential candidates, they also have some things in their platforms to address food insecurity. So Brady Forrest has been talking about this for a long time. He is a user of the store and has been talking about graduate food insecurity recently. Whenever you go and you use your G-World at Whole Foods or Wise Guys or wherever you're using it, the university is taking 10% of your swipe. So Brady kind of wants to play off of that fact and say that, okay, if the university is not really doing anything to get this 10%, they're just kind of taking it. Um, So what he wants to do is make some sort of partnership with the vendors, with the university, and with students so that the university can take a smaller cut but still take a 
cut from their G-World swipes. And then Ojani wants to work to lower the cost of meal deals. So meal deals currently are an initiative from the university partnered with some vendors. Not all vendors do them, but it's $6 breakfast, $8 lunch, and $10 dinners, and he wants to lower all of those by $1. Going back to each separate race, the presidential and the executive vice president, what is the main difference between the two candidates? What from their platform stands out as their main thing? Ashley's platform very heavily focuses on relations between students and the community and that sort of thing. So something that she wants to do is she wants to collect letters and visuals from students and give them to administrators to kind of show them their day-to-day experience, to, to get them to understand what students are experiencing. And then she also wants to build on community service efforts that are going on currently. So she wants to build on the freshman day of service. The essay also currently does a bunch of community service activities and she wants to allocate more of the essay's operating budget to community service activities and then open those up to the student community at large Um, so hers is very focused on engaging the community with others like whether it be administrators whether it be um, community members that sort of thing here's a bit of the conversation that I had with Ashley Lee I came from a very um, when I came from Vietnam I was in South Vietnam when I was born raised I left America when I was 13 years old when I was in Vietnam I didn't really have a good life Um, I I struggle to get through with my family. My, my dad is a pastor, um, and because of that, my, and my mom is an English teacher. So because of that, like, it was, I had a, my childhood wasn't the easiest. And I came to, when I had the opportunity to, came to come to America, I still remember every part of my childhood that shaped me into who I am today. And I promised myself that if I ever have the opportunity, or not even if I ever have the opportunity, I promised myself that every day from then and beyond, I will do something to give back to community service. I will do something to serve the community who have less than what I have, even if what I had wasn't a lot. And then Imani's platform is also focused on community, but kind of in a different way. It's like community between students. For the executive vice presidential candidates, their platforms, first of all, are smaller. So they're a little bit um, more similar because they focus on fewer things. Brady's platform is focused on bigger issues and then the small ways that those issues can be addressed. Whereas Ojani's platform is focusing on small issues and the ways to resolve them. So for Brady's platform, for example, he was like we talked about earlier, he was talking about food insecurity. He was talking about that sort of thing. Um, He talks about about sustainable initiatives and advocating for fossil fuel divestment. If Brady's elected, he'll also be the first graduate student to be executive vice president in recent history, and I think just in the top two positions together as well. Here's part of my conversation with Brady Forrest. So I think that it's um, a really different perspective um, because I've also had my own undergraduate experience at a different university where I was involved with the student government there. I was also an RA in undergrad, so I have a lot of experience from my undergrad, and then also I, I have a different perspective. I live off campus. Um, I have a different relationship with faculty and administrators. Um, I think it just comes down to there are tons of graduate students, and I think that I have the ability to be a bridge for that. Like I've said, I've been in the Senate, so I know what's going on in the undergrad you know, community, but I also like live the graduate life, and I yeah. think that there's a lot of stuff that... Um, that is really interconnected that isn't always talked about. And I think that I'm in a position to kind of point those things out and really you know, bring the campus together. Because um, I think graduate students and undergraduate students have a lot to offer each other. Mm-hmm. And working together, in fact, we could get a lot more done um, and be way more effective than 
if we try, anyone tries to go it alone. So that would be a first. And then Ojani's platform, like I said, focuses on smaller things. So he wants to input water filtration systems on the Vern to improve the quality of life there. I don't think it's right for um, the, for us to pay high tuition when we have subpar facilities. My experience on the Vern could have been better if we had things that the Foggy Bottom campus has as simple as water refill stations on a Vern. So just having water refills, more water refill stations, a lot of people pin that on Residence Hall Association, but that's an essay, uh, that's an issue that the essay can handle. Um, he was saying, you know, it's like hard to get your water bottles refilled and that sort of thing. He wants to expand interaction between Greek organizations and the SA. So he's proposing the addition of a multicultural Greek council uh, and an alt-Greek uh, director position on the SA. Granted, the MGC position is already being created. That was resolved in the Alpha Phi Bigotry Act, but um, still he wants to uh, increase that. And then he wants to increase transparency in the financial aid office by creating an FAQ page specifically for that um, office. So like I was saying, a lot like smaller details that he's focusing on there. And then Brady's focusing on bigger things with tiny steps to do those. Hi, this is Kayla Harris again, and I'm here talking with Elise Zadi, the current academics news editor on The Hatchet, and then Andrew Goudsward, the senior news editor. We are going to talk about the history of essay elections. Both of them are former student life editors, so we have kind of a trail going here from the three of us. And so I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about the history of essay elections and what kind of issues we're seeing recurring. So what were some of the issues that came up in last year's election? A lot of the same issues that have been coming up this year came up last year as well. It's been kind of a running theme in the essay that a lot of the, the biggest issues on campus are raised by candidates every single year. So you always have the, the food insecurity platform, the student health platform, the affordability platform. Last year, things that came up, the 18th credit, which is going for a referendum next week and has come up again during this campaign, was raised by Landy Watson, who was an essay candidate at the time. Cole Eddinghoff, who was another essay candidate, was talking a lot about and institutional culture, which is another thing that especially uh, Ashley Lee's talked about. Um, he talked about how staff um, oftentimes don't treat students very well and how they needed to be kind of a complaint system for students to be able to report those kind of incidents. So some different things, but also a lot of the same themes that keep coming up. That feeling left out thing, too, that's coming up with the graduate students, and Brady's been focusing um, a lot on that during his campaign as, uh, as a graduate candidate for executive vice president. Have we heard any of these graduate student concerns before? Yeah, I mean, the graduate students typically feel left out of the essay, as, as Brady mentioned in the debate the other night, because a lot of times graduate students don't run, they don't vote. The essay has, the Senate has historically struggled to get senators filled in those graduate school positions. Um, and so I think the fact that we have a graduate student candidate running this year, um, along with the fact that kind of graduate students have been more vocal on the essay, they've had a full Senate this year for the first time in, in quite a while. Um, I, I think a lot of that has is, is caused more of a focus on graduate students in this election. So we're talking a lot about diversity this election cycle after that whole Alpha Phi incident earlier this year. This is not the first time a racist incident has happened on our campus, though, nor is it the first time that it's affected student association candidates. Uh, two years ago, the there was a whole scandal in the essay about uh, the Finance Committee not funding the keynote speaker for the South Asian Heritage Celebration. And then the year after that, we had another super diverse group of candidates. Can you tell me about what the effects of those racist incidents are on the student association? Association elections? 
Yes, so I think um, multicultural organizations have talked a lot about over the years how essay candidates come to their communities during elections, and then once they get elected and once the year begins, they're kind of forgotten about. And so two years ago, when there was that whole controversy where the Finance Committee wouldn't fund the keynote speaker for the South Asian Heritage Celebration, um, and a lot of the students who went to push for that funding felt that they were subject to a certain amount of prejudice from the Finance Committee kind of turned into a whole movement to hold the essay more accountable for diversity and multicultural issues. So multicultural organizations started a whole effort banding together to endorse candidates up and down the ballot. Um, They held a a diversity town hall for the first time. Um, They really made sure that this was going to be an issue that uh, you know, stayed present on the essay throughout the year. Um, and actually, they were quite successful in that. A lot of the candidates that they endorsed ended up winning their elections, um, and it became one of the more diverse Senates that, that we've seen. Um, and so I think that has kind of led to more of an overall cultural change in the essay, where candidates are more cognizant of these issues, and, you know, it's something that can't be ignored at all anymore. And as you've seen, especially after the Alpha Phi incident, every candidate, you know, felt that they had to, to put something, you know, about diversity in their platform and make it a major focus of their platform. So we have also had a very calm election season this year, no major drama, but this was obviously not the case last year. Elise, you were front and center last year during all of the the election scandal and all of the drama that was happening. Can you tell me, just give me a rundown of what happened last year? So last year we had three people running for essay president and towards the end of the running season after the debate had already happened about a week before the election was scheduled. A series of complaints were released by the JEC, the Joint Election Committee, uh, from both Cole Eddinghoff, who was one of the presidential candidates, and from his girlfriend, Ali Belinke, uh, accusing Landy Watson and her uh, campaign, who she was also running for president at the time, of harassment, of uh, slandering on campus, encouraging people not to vote for Cole, spreading false rumors. A member of Landy Watson's campaign was accused by Ali Belinke of following her. So after the complaints uh, were released, the JEC postponed the election and had a 10-hour hearing from 5 p.m. to about, I think, 3 a.m. And they heard testimony from uh, Allie and Cole, and they also heard from a lot of people on Landy Watson's campaign who had been accused of being involved in harassing Cole and harassing his team and slandering him. So each claim against Landy Watson's campaign and her team depending on how serious it is, had a certain amount of points allocated to it. If six points were accrued, if the JEC found enough offenses to be true based on the testimony, Landy would be kicked off the ballot. And the next day at around 2 p.m., they announced that she had accumulated exactly six points. So she would be kicked off, and she was. This hearing was already after the elections had been postponed once. Then they were postponed again until the fall by the uh, Division of Student Affairs and then just like canceled entirely. But we still have essay, uh, an essay president and vice president this year. So Andrew, can you tell me how that happened? So after the university um, had postponed the election to the fall, the essay leadership at the time, they decided that they were really opposed to that, to an election taking place in the fall because 
as the summer is really a critical time for SE leadership to get started on projects that they're going to be working on throughout the next academic year. Um, and also the SA bylaws just don't allow for a fall election. So essentially, they just followed the Constitution. They left the presidency position vacant. Um, and in that case, Peak Centrois, who had won the EVP race, uh, just became president um, when there was a vacancy in the presidency. And then he named the, the person, his, his former opponent in the EVP race, Sidney Nelson, um, as EVP. And they just decided that that was going to be the essay leadership that we had for this year. And so after this, there was this huge push from the SA to reform the JEC bylaws. And so coming into the fall this year, a bunch of senators came together. Brady Forrest, I think, introduced the uh, initial legislation, creating a committee to reform the JEC. And then Jan Yonan and Finley Wetmore uh, led that committee reforming the bylaws. So, Andrew, can you tell me about what changes came out of that committee? Sure. The number one thing, like you had mentioned was that they were going to refer any charges that were more of a legal nature to what they called an appropriate judicial body. Um, So they weren't going to allow the JEC anymore to be making decisions on things like stalking and harassment because there was pretty much universal agreement that that was something that they really weren't equipped to make decisions about. And then they also changed how you're going to vote in elections um, this week. You're instead of voting for one top choice, you now rank your preferences, um, which was something that uh, had been p- put to a referendum a few years ago um, and, and was approved but never implemented. Um, and so this committee passed that change. They increased the number of, of members on the JEC from five to seven. Um, and they also now are, are forcing the JEC to basically secure the confidentiality of any election violation complaints made to the JEC. Um, and that comes after the complaints last year were put online without any redactions. And so there was personal information, there was phone numbers, um, and the complaints that Ali Belinky and, and Cole had filed last spring. And that was something that a lot of students on, on both sides of that whole issue were really upset about because they felt that it was a, a violation of privacy. And so now um, the new regulations require the JEC to make sure that all of those complaints are confidential before they're, they're posted online. Yeah, so as I've been covering the essay this year too, I've definitely have noticed a, a shift in the culture this year, and and I guess we'll see if that continues uh, further because right now it's really fresh on everybody's minds, but maybe next year it won't be, and we'll see where it goes. Well, thanks for coming on, you guys. Thanks for having us. With the Student Association Guide this week, we have two members of our editorial board. The editorial board is composed of Hatchet staff members and operates separately from the newsroom. I'm here with our contributing opinions editor, Renee Panetta, and our copy editor, Melissa Shapiro. Thanks for joining us. Every year, our editorial board endorses candidates for essay president and also executive vice president. Can you tell me who you're planning on endorsing this year? After all of our endorsement hearings with the candidates, we've decided to endorse uh, for president, uh, Imani Ross, and for executive vice president, uh, Brady Forrest. How did you come to the decision to endorse these candidates? So after we call in all of the candidates, both presidential candidates and executive vice president candidates, um, for our endorsement hearing, we go over each candidate, go over their platforms, compare them. For example, we had two executive vice president candidates. So what we do is we compare them to each other and their points, as well as look at them as if they were running alone and seeing whether or not they are really qualified, in our opinion, to assume the duties of EVP and make sure that the goals are attainable and that they can work well with the president. For the presidential candidates, we go over their platforms as well. It's really just, it's not necessarily we're trying to win over all of the members within the editorial board, but we are all doing our best to show why we 
support one candidate, why we support the other candidate, and the things perhaps um, in one candidate's platforms that are unattractive that may be more attractive than another candidate. So all of those decisions come into play in deciding who we should endorse, why we should endorse them, and why we aren't endorsing the other candidate. Where does this all start? When does the process begin? What are you looking at first? We get the candidates platforms uh, that comes out shortly before spring break. And then as an editorial board, we all divide up each of the candidates platforms. So all the platform points, you know, each editorial board member gets maybe two to four. And then over spring break, it's each of our responsibilities to research those specific topics, kind of looking back at have other candidates in previous elections kind of tried to do that? What's their success been like? you know, and then we all come up with questions for each platform point based on our research. And those are the questions that we present to the candidates when they come in for their scheduled hearings. How did this process come into play when deciding which essay president candidate to endorse between Amani Ross and Ashley Lee? This was a bit of a harder decision, I think, for our editorial board because both um, Amani and uh, Ashley interviewed very well. And we had a bit of, we had a lot of back and forth and going over, well, this is her platform point, which is more feasible for Amani. And this is a platform point on Ashley's that maybe, maybe isn't as feasible. Going over their connections with the SA that they have now and how that would help them. Going over the relationships that they have with the administrators and how that will help them in the future. And we overall decided that Amani had more feasible platform points had the background to kind of make sure those points were completed, had um, the background and through her experience in the essay to make sure that what she wanted to do would get done, as well as kind of emulate the goals of the student body and make sure that those goals were heard. Were there any specific platform points that led you to pick Amani over Ashley? So both Ashley and Amani had um, these points in their platform to kind of either add a class or add a class requirement to students kind of based around whatever they happen to prioritize. So Ashley um, told us that actually her biggest platform point, we always ask candidates, if you could only accomplish one point from your platform, what would it be? And Ashley said that she really wants to get this first year experience class done, which is basically it would be like a one credit class that every incoming freshman at GW is required to take. And it would kind of lay out like, how do you do GW, essentially. And then Imani's was completely different. Hers was not about adding a class. It was more about adding a class requirement. She called it a cultural competency requirement that would almost be like a WID in terms of the way it's required. Like instead of a W, classes would have like a CC at the end of them. And that would be kind of incorporating classes that already exist at this university, classes that tend to fall either in humanities or social science on like a GPAC worksheet. Things about, you know, race in America or gender and sexuality studies, classes like that, and kind of requiring students to take something like that. And we were definitely in support of that. That really sounded like something that kind of given recent events on this campus would be really beneficial to the student body. And it also wouldn't be adding a class or adding a requirement because those classes could already, you know, they already count through GPAC and it wouldn't be a burden on a student's schedule. Whereas a one credit class that Ashley was describing, even though she was saying it would only be, you know, 50 minutes a week, maybe it's just yet another thing to schedule freshman year. So we were a little bit concerned about that. Um, and that's kind of, that was one of the key deciding factors for us. Another thing we really liked about Amani was that she seemed amenable to other people's needs. For example, we had asked Ashley what the one thing she wanted to get done was, and which was the first year experience classes. And we asked if she were to become president, if she polled the student body and they all 
majority said they did not want these first-year classes. She said she would pursue that regardless. And while that may be a great perseverance on behalf of her, um, we thought it would be best to have a president who was flexible with what the student body wanted. And Imani definitely showed that she would be amenable to potentially making changes. For example, she was explaining to us how her initial village program, which was kind of built on this idea of pairing, or not pairing, but kind of placing students together who have similar interests kind of on some kind of housing survey that they could be housed either together or, you know, in proximity on the same floor or something like that. And that she was explaining to us that once she talked to Seth Weinshell about that, who is the director of housing at GW, that he kind of said that wasn't really going to work with the algorithm and wasn't really going to be a great idea. And so instead she pivoted that from being um, something that appears on the housing survey that's really tied to housing to just kind of a way to publicize student interests and kind of create communities built around interests like she said arts and culture as an example or faith and religion um, and that she was really able to see that once an administrator said mm, this might not work in the way that you originally originally envisioned that she was able to kind of still keep that same idea and change it to maybe be more feasible. What were you most critical about in Amani's platform? So while Amani had a lot of really great platform points, the research behind them wasn't as in-depth. She hadn't had the time to meet with probably all the administrators that she needed to meet with before coming to this meeting. On the flip side, Ashley had done her research, had had her meetings. While we didn't like Ashley's platforms as much as we liked Amani's, Ashley did have the research that Amani will need to get if she is to become essay president. And what about EVP? How did you come to that endorsement? So for EVP, we were deciding between uh, Brady Forrest, who is a graduate student, and Ojani Walthrust, who is currently a sophomore. And so that decision, we, you know, it's the same process. We bring them all in, have our hearings. Brady, we overall just found was much more experienced. Brady has been in the Senate. This is Brady's third year in the essay Senate. And he currently serves as Senate pro tem, which means if Sidney Nelson, who's the current EVP, is not there, Brady's essentially filling that role. So he has a lot of Senate expertise. He knows where, you know, who you go to, how the process of uh, legislation, and we found that to be incredibly valuable seeing as that is one of the key jobs of the EVP, you are president of the Senate. Um, So there was that part of it, and then kind of pivoting to his platform and his goals as EVP, we were very impressed with his level of research. One of Brady's key points was that he really wanted to incentivize graduate students to use GWorld, uh, which they don't currently do, um, at least not in large numbers. The idea being that if he can convince students, graduate students to use GWorld, uh, they will be saving money because they can spend it on these meal deals that GW currently offers and then save money on that. And so we were really impressed that he knew that, you know, it's the right thing to do to kind of have dining affordability as a priority, but he also knew that the university, if he wants them to have more meal deals, needs to incentivize them to do so. Um, You need an argument beyond just it's the right thing to do. So he really had a well-researched plan of if we're going to ask them to do this, we need to get a lot more graduate students using GWorld so that the university really sees that there's a financial benefit to doing this. Something else we really liked about Brady is that he knew that he couldn't just go to the administration, kind of guns blaring and say, these are the things that I want. He really took the approach of, okay, this is what I want. This is what the students want. So let's try to find a way to phase this in. The way he's doing a lot of platforms or wants to do a lot of his platforms are through pilot programs. So that is a feasible way to tell the administrators, like, 
let's try this for a year and see if it works and we can have a conversation after that rather than if we don't do this then the university isn't listening and that conversation kind of ends there so brady is extending that conversation what about oh johnny's platform were there specific points that led you not to endorse him or anything you actually liked about his platform so we found Ojani to be a passionate candidate. In comparing him with Brady, his research was not there. When we asked him questions, for example, on his platform on kind of creating better relationships between UPD, Emerge, and students on campus, he didn't seem to have done all the research that was necessary to answer our questions and lacked kind of background information that we thought was essential to have these conversations. A lot of his ideas were motivated by personal stories and by friends who had told him that they had problems with, for example, the financial aid office or with resources on the on Mount Vernon campus. And all of these were great ideas, but he did not have the logistics there. That we thought would be appropriate and he did not seem to be as prepared as he should have been to talk about these problems and to spend an entire year addressing these problems. There was a lot of focus in his endorsement hearing. He talked a lot about persistence and he did mention, you know, history doesn't always repeat itself just because there's precedent. That doesn't mean that precedent is going to stay. And while that may be true, that seemed to really be the guiding principle behind a lot of his points, which we found concerning because Overall, if things haven't worked in the past, just kind of asking for them again without any new or innovative ways to do so doesn't seem necessarily the best tactic. What are your thoughts about the candidates for president and EVP this year and even looking back to last year's candidates? What we were really, really pleased to see this year was that it honestly seems like all four of them are running truly from a place of wanting to improve this community, wanting to improve this campus, and wanting to serve um, you know, either groups that they're a part of, groups that they've encountered or met with, and it's really, really genuine. So that was really great to see. And because of that, kind of a lot of our decision more came down to feasibility, who have you met with, and what are you truly confident that you have a plan to address and see tangible change. It really came down to who can actually enact those differences on this university. Well, thanks so much for joining us and giving us a look at what the hearing board process is for essay elections. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on our special student association episode of Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roten and Leah Potter and features culture editors Liz Preventure and Matt Dines. This podcast is produced by assistant video editor Ariana Dunham, managing editor Tyler Loveless, and assistant copy editor Emma Tyrell. And music is provided by Olk Studios. Special thanks this week to Kayla Harris, Andrew Goudsward, Elise Zaidi, Renee Panetta, and Melissa Shapiro for joining us this week.